Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to class. Uh, my name is Wendell Moses. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings. We're covering lesson 13 in our lesson, um, which is two weeks in advance. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together and study your word. We ask that you send your spirit to be with us. Guide us. May the words we speak be acceptable to you. May they represent you aright. May we not embarrass you. May we honor you to those who are around us, and may we be witnesses of your love to those who come in contact with us. Amen. The Lesson 13 is a community of servants. Um, last night, this morning, while I was preparing for the class, I realized how much dependent I am when I teach classes on a whiteboard. Yesterday at 11 o'clock, I had a, le- a lecture that I had to give, and um, it was a sit-down lecture with just few residents, and I couldn't stand it. Um, I started going into the material, and instantly I had to stand up and go over to the whiteboard and write, etc. on the whiteboard. And so I'm impaired when I come here, and I don't have a whiteboard. And I was thinking, maybe I could get a, a whiteboard and bring it with me and just put it up. But I drive a Miata, and <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. So bear in mind that I'm handicapped when I'm trying to talk about things here with my hands or whatever. Um, so anyway, I'd like to start out with a discussion briefly of laws of the mind. I have come up with eight laws of the mind, okay? And you probably will recognize laws of the mind. So what would you put up with? I'm going to be writing on my paper, okay? You can't see it, but um, if you if you get some that I haven't come up with, I'm going to be writing my piece of paper, and I'm sorry, but um, that's as good as I can get. So what are laws of the mind or laws? Laws of worship. Laws of worship, okay? I have that. Law of worship, that's number two. By beholding, we become changed. We become like what we focus our attention and thoughts. Laws of worship. Good. Okay, what else? What you don't use, you lose. Hmm. What's that law? Well, it's the law. It's the corollary to the law of exertion. Law of exertion. The physical, the mental, and the spiritual. I didn't get that. Law of exertion. Um, and maybe it works on the mind too. I think it does. Oh, well, you know, when they're when babies are born, they're born. We are born with a many more brain cells than we have as adults. Is because the body starts getting rid of anything it really doesn't need. If your talents go in one direction, or if you're blind, the mind gets rid of the cells that would normally do that because they're not needed. So off they go. Okay. What else? Oh, well, I guess this, I came up with the, this is very similar to that law. Maybe I'll just use it as, as that law. The, the mind adapts to what it dwells upon. Bigger ideas versus smaller. Okay? The effect of thinking about God versus thinking about ourselves. To me, that's a exa- law of exertion or law of the mind. Okay? So I'll, I'll say that we did that one. Okay? What else? Love. Law of love. So we are happiest. Most complete when we are serving others. We are designed for service, not self-service. Okay? Good. What else? I heard there the garbage in, garbage out principle, which I guess we would call the law of sowing and reaping. Okay. I didn't have that one. That's kind of the beholding. 
Sowing, reaping, okay. Yeah, worship, etc. Okay. What else? I've, so I've been thinking a lot lately about a law that I haven't defined it yet. I call it the law of truth, and and it may be it may be described in scripture in that um, for those who who reject the truth, they will be given over to believe a lie. Um, I don't have a concise, detailed definition for the law of truth, but right. there are there are various descriptions in Scripture and inspired writings that that suggest that truth is ever unfolding. Truth is does not is not diminished with investigation. Truth uh, and if truth is rejected, the only thing left to believe is a lie. Okay. Now, I'm sure we can. We could come up, yeah. The truth is so he's free. We we could probably come up with a, a really concise two, three, four sentence definition of it, like we have the law of worship. But I haven't yet. But I, I think there is a law of truth okay. that governs. Uh, but in that case, there's the law of freedom also. Absolutely, can't have one without the other. Self deceit. Sure. Yeah. We absolutely. That's whenever you have a whisper that there is a a bigger truth that you that is inconvenient, or that one chooses not to to embrace, and so you start deceiving yourself about whatever. Concept. So you have to deceive yourself, I think, before you can deceive yeah. others. Yeah. Well, but if you take that text out that they're given over to believe a lie, it specifically tells us what happens to the mind. Yeah. It it's dark and depraved. It becomes dark. Yeah. You are going to affect and transform your mind by not embracing truth. Okay. Let's hear your list. You said there were eight. Okay. Well, we've, we've gone through three of them already. Okay. Um, and we've added four that I didn't have on my list, you know, which was hopeful that I could get a bigger list. Okay. I have for number three. Okay. And, and let me back up a little bit and say what I did, I cheated. Um, I put in Mrs. White's writings the statement, it is a law. Okay? I just looked up and said, okay, what does she say? It is a law. Okay? Okay. Okay. So, it is a law that what we believe, we speak. Okay? In the heart. Yeah. Whatever we believe, we will we will say that. Now, unfortunately, that not might not be what we want to believe, but what we believe, we speak. Your your coworkers will know what we believe because you're expressing that in how you speak, how you live, what you go by, your values, etc. So. We believe what we speak. Okay? Do you think that's why it says by your own words you will be condemned? Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. Number four, thoughts are strengthened or encouraged as we speak them. As we speak something, we get re- reinforced. And we may start out with only a very mild belief in something, but if it's repeated and, and we keep repeating it, it becomes a value that we cherish. Okay? All right. That's true of a lie as well. 
That's true. And, and that's regarding whatever it is, whether it's truth or error or whatever. Are you up to, for, for a freedom of class, personal challenge, I, I had this with myself. I found out, personal experience, that anyone else here tired? Because I have days where I'm just flat out exhausted. And when it comes out of my mouth, I am so tired. Boy, I feel even more tired because I realize the facts of the overstated schedule. In conversations with God, I'm replacing that with, I am so grateful. I am so thankful. And I find one thing to be truly thankful for. And the physiologic response is renewal and higher energy. So this, what, when you say it reinforces, it goes either way. This is not to denigrate anybody else and what they do in work, okay? I first graduated from college as a nurse, and then, and then as a chemist, and then, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, I've been a gurneyologist, I've been a, um, a housekeeper, I've been whatever. You know, so, and I have worked hard at all those jobs. And as a nurse, I used to work... Um, certain number of shifts a week and whatnot, 40 hours a week or whatever. And I was beat when I got done, you know. And then I went back. I kept on going to school. And while I was going to school, I worked every Thursday night and two doubles both days on the weekend, every other weekend, so that I could get enough hours in to qualify as a temporary worker or whatever and get whatever, except to be on the schedule, etc. And so I went from working 40 hours a week to being a full-time student plus my half-time of work, etc., and I was tired. And then I got to medical school, and, um, and then I got to residency. Now, I will not defend whatsoever what we did in residency, okay? Because it was considered inhuman by people who came independently and reviewed our program and put our program on probation. We were working 120 hours a week. Consistently, every week, week after week after week, you know, I left, you know, my work week as an orthopedic resident was conference started at 6.30 in the morning, so I had to get there at 6.15 to get my x-rays in order and all that sort of stuff, which means I had to get up before that, obviously, to get to work and whatever, transit time. And um, I worked from 6.15 or whatever all that day, all that night, all that day. I got off about 8 o'clock in the evening that night, and I came back the next morning at 6.15. I did that for three years straight. And I will say that's inhuman, etc. But I will have to tell you that going along with your statement of we believe what we see, I would convince myself I wasn't tired. Okay? Now, I was tired after working 40 hours a week. And I was tired after working 60 hours a week. You know, and yet your mind will do certain things that maybe are not healthy also along that same line. Okay. Cause I was telling myself, I am not tired. I can do this, etc. Okay. So that can be used in a positive way and that can be used in a very negative way. Were you married at that time? I was. Um, and we did, same we did, woman that you're married to now. Same. I have a wonderful She's an wife. Amazing woman. She's an amazing woman. Okay. Can't remember her name, but I, it's, it's, it, you know. <laughs> so, That's good. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's, let's move on. Okay. 
the next law I have is the law of giving. We get more when we give more. Our capacity increases as we utilize our abilities to give away what we have. Now, that may be a combination of the law of love and the law of exertion, which we've already talked about, okay? But it's a law that we can increase what we get by giving away what we have, okay? And children are also, when you have one child, you think, I couldn't love another child as much as I love this child. And then another child comes, and um, you don't split the love you have. You actually grow more love for that child. And so you don't, it doesn't decrease the love you already have. It actually increases the amount of love you have and the people you're giving it to. Okay. The next law I have is the law of rest. And I have included here Sabbath rest. An expenditure of energy requires a period of rest and recuperation. Okay? The law of rest. Okay? The final law I have, which is obviously not the last law of um, inherent or design law that we have, the last law I have is first impressions are more lasting than later ones. Okay? That's a natural. Okay? We'll talk a little bit more about this in another page. But um, when you read a paragraph, what do you remember? As someone who's gone to a lot of school, I, I did a, a, took a class on psychology of learning, which was amazing. I've forgotten most of what they told me. But the one thing I do remember out of that class or that lecture or whatever was um, that when you read something, you remember the first part the best. The next thing you remember the best is what's last, okay? And what you remember the least is, if you divide a paragraph into fourths, you'll remember least number three, okay? So if you're reading a table of something and you want to remember it, You've got number one, okay? You maybe have number 10, but you don't have six, seven, and eight. And you need to spend your time remembering six, seven, eight, because that will go by the way. And so you spend a little bit of time on one and last one, and then you spend most of your time on six, seven, and eight, because otherwise that will go out the window. Okay? Same way with music. The middle of the piece to memorize is where you're going to forget it most easily. Mm. Okay. All right. So in talking about laws or, or design laws or how we're made, design laws are liberating. Amen. Okay? They allow you to do things. They support activity. It provides facilities to encourage activity. Inherent in the results of transgressing these laws is the penalty. It's not imposed, okay? Whereas imposed laws or enacted laws are restrictive in their very nature, okay? They prohibit something. They limit you from doing something. They restrict your activities, and they have to have imposed penalties for transgression, okay? So thinking... Now that we're thinking about that a little bit, let's talk about our lesson, okay? 
And our lesson is about the church. And what was the lesson title? A community of servants. Okay? So uh, the memory text is from New King James Version. It says it's from Hebrews 10, 23, and 24. And speaking of, you think of the last half less than the first half, we're going to read this and then we're going to spend all the time on the last half. Okay? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What do you think about that word consider? What's it telling you to do? Think about it? Okay. For those of you who have your, your Bible in front of you, if you have the New King James available or the King James available, reading verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What is that telling you to do? Think about what? Others. Others. Mm-hmm. To have cooperate. Priority. Not, not the top priority necessarily as one's self-interest, but consider others not these motivated by self-interest, self-design. Is that how churches work? I, I think it means to cooperate with other people in good work. Okay. Does anyone have another translation other than King James and New King James? What, which one do you want? I don't care. The NIV says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay. Is there a difference in what you heard? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And she, you read what? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good Any other versions? I like that better. Okay, amplified. Amplified, okay. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. Okay. I personally don't use remedy much. I'm appreciative of his, his efforts and whatnot, but I don't do it much. But because we're in this class, I'll read it. 24, and think constantly how we can work with God to help each other to grow in character to be like Jesus. I like that. Okay? So if I go to another translation. American Standard has consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Okay? I like that. Yes? The message says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping not avoiding worshiping together, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see how the big day, as we see the big day approaching. Good. Okay. My concern for this New King James business is that, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, it's almost as I first read that I'm being critical of another person. I'm judging them on how to do something. Okay. And that's unfortunately how many times in my walk with God, I've dealt with the church. Okay? But haven't we been recently talking about how to do good works for other people, that it does require some thinking and judgment of what we But that's considering what we're doing for them and making sure that we are most appropriate for them. And so we are looking at us more then we're looking at them. Yes, we're assessing the, the, the need so that we're serving the need, but really that's looking at what we're doing. 
Okay? Completely historically, uh, and not limited to, to our denomination or anyone's, if the perception of the road to heaven being one must do good works, and it's, it's viewed as sins being the multi-acts of, uh, a lot of people have a encouragement to themselves if they recognize someone else is worse off than they are. So you feel like you're ahead on the journey. So if that's the perception that one is approaching God's heart, then it would be a common thought process to be encouraged by someone else being worse and being able to point that out and recognize it. Versus the design of God's heart that loves us all the same and encourages us and it's that change of heart that we're seeking out. Then it's the recognition of uh, others' needs as being points of how can we help them on their journey. And those needs are probably more important than my needs. As important, at least. At least. Okay? But it may be talking about leadership, too, in a way, in that a lot of times people will see a need, let's say Bahamas, for example, mm -hmm. and say, I should really do something. I'm considering it. I should really do something. But you never really take that action. You just consider it. Whereas you'll see in leadership-type people, they will pull together and make it happen, let's do this, and you know, we, we line this up, we come on and help me, and that's, to me that's the spurring on part, where somebody takes the bull by the horns and says, let's do this, and then it encourages people who would ordinarily maybe sit on the fence and just consider it, to actually act on it. And that sounds like what the text is trying to get us to do, to encourage others to do good things as well, okay, but it's more toward us. Yes. What I hear that text saying is that when I, when I meditate on God and what he does for me, how he heals me, I naturally reach out to others. And okay. it's very difficult to um, know how to help somebody unless I've communicated with them. They may not want help, but okay. if I have that relationship with God that nurtures and strengthens me, then I have something to reach out to others with. And when they can see the nurture and the love of God for them, the value that God has for them, then they can in turn reach out. Okay. To me, that's how I encourage is by strengthening my walk with God and being willing to share it with people that I come in contact with. One of the basic premises of sales is to generate a need on the part of the recipient. And unfortunately, in many of our church outreaches, we have to make the person feel bad enough that they're going to want us. Okay? Rather than demonstrating God's love, being being an individual who is loving, and then someone saying, yeah, I'd like that. Or regenerate fear. Yeah. I just like the introduction that the message has to that verse that says, so let's do it, full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. And I think that 
that focus on God and His mm-hmm. power and His ability prompts a reaction toward others for us. So the second paragraph on, on, on the lesson, the temptation is that when we get together as a church, we become distracted with keeping the church itself going, forgetting that the church exists to serve the world in which God has placed it. Well, that was well said. Okay? Um, all right. Um, and then we can... Uh, let's, let's, go, let's, let's move on. Um, all right. Um, Matthew seven seventeen through 20 says, A healthy tree bears good fruit, but a poor tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a poor tree cannot bear good fruit. And any tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know the false prophets by what they do. I go back and talk about a little bit about my other statement about what we hear when we read a paragraph. Okay? We hear the first part. A healthy tree bears good fruit. We hear the last part. We'll be false prophets by what they do. And so we spend a lot of time concentrating on judging the message, the messenger, whatever, etc., to prove whatever we want to prove. Okay? There are essentially three statements here. The first statement, a healthy tree bears good fruit. (coughs) The um, second statement, you know, be cut down and thrown into a fire. We worry about that. You will know the false prophets of what they do. We spend a lot of time on that. I think we spend so much time on the third statement about judging whether it's a good tree or a bad tree, the fruit. We become fruit inspectors, you know. Um, We lose the force. And I think the devil does this, helps us do this. We lose the force of what the statement is about. The statement is about us being good trees. Now, what is my function? My function is to live my life as a servant. Okay? Often, let's back up a little bit. So I think the law was given to judge me, that I need to judge myself with the law. Okay? My abilities were given to help others. Too many of the times I have that backwards. I use my time spent on judging others and using my abilities on me. Okay? And, um, you know, I don't become a better tree by trying to do something. Okay? It's the result of being what I am. And if the law says I'm not what I should be, then that's where the concentration energy should be. Through God's Spirit, He will change me into something else. But that law of when you speak something, you believe it more. When you do something, you believe it more as well. So sometimes we have to do something in order to believe it. Okay. 
I mean, yes, right? that, that, that's very true. It's very true. First, before we do things, right. we may not succeed at that. We become changed by by beholding and then by doing. So that's, that's true. Yeah. All right. Sunday's lesson. Oh, yes. You know, you ask, how does a tree become good? And it's by what the gardener does. It's by pruning other trees away from it so that light can get through. It's by fertilizing it so you're taking nourishment in through the roots. Um, we have to submit to the gardener. Yes. The part that was striking me was uh, the, the bearing fruit, cross-pollination. The fruit uh, is, as, as there is support in helping others, and if a tree is isolated that needs cross-pollination, it doesn't bear fruit. So being able to be there to both reach out and help others, as well as sometimes receiving blessings when others help us. I'm... Um... I'm interested in planting a chestnut tree. You know, chestnut tree used to be the number one tree in, in America uh, 100 years ago. Um, essentially, the majority of food source for deer, squirrels, and most varmints that you can think of as being varmints in America was chestnuts prior to the chestnut blight. And if it, they did... If they go back and they look at animal counting in a forest prior to the chestnut blight and after the chestnut blight, there's, we have much fewer animals now than we used to have prior to the 1930. Okay. And so the chestnut blight came and kind of wiped out all the chestnut trees, et cetera. Now little trees are coming up, but they aren't, they don't get big enough until they get the blight and they die off and whatnot. And there's a move to try to, breed a chestnut tree that's blight resistant and then you can go on the, online and learn all sorts of stuff about that. I'm trying to find um, a chestnut tree. I, I, I want to find a chestnut tree. And what I found out is a chestnut tree will not do chestnuts unless it has another tree. So somewhere near your tree is a second tree that is um, providing ability for that tree to bear. And so the Forestry things that I, I wrote off to or uh, investigated about getting a chestnut tree. Well, we, you got to buy two of them. You can't just buy one. I haven't got room for two of them. Okay, I barely got room for one of them. But anyway, I want one. And anyway, so anyway. The neighbor's yard. That's a great. They're very messy. They are. Yes. So I don't want one. <laughs> I better check out that. Okay. All right. Moving on. Sunday's lesson. Agents of change. After reading Sunday's lesson, I came back and I said to myself, wait a minute. This is not evolution. This is restoration. We are inundated. Our melu of all discussions public have the idea of evolution built into them. Okay. We are subtly being influenced by the evolutionary mind thought, etc. And yet this is not evolution. We are not better than our forebears. Okay? We are not smarter than them. We're not whatever, etc. Now, in the recent past there were big killers, okay? That were uncontrolled. And we have reined in some of those with science, etc. And so we think we're better than people a hundred years ago. 
you know. And yes, some things are better than a hundred years ago um, in certain places. In international law, a national embassy is considered part of the nation it represents. Even when physically located in a foreign country, perhaps a long distance from the home nation. What is the purpose of the embassy? Representation and refuge. Okay. What happens if someone in the embassy decides to do terrorist activities? What happens if a member of the embassy team does subterfuge, interferes with something that is supposed to be happening in the, the country in which it's surrounded by? What happens if there's spying involved? Oh, that would never happen. Oh, um, anyway. Um, we assume that happens. In this world that is built on forced and imposed law, those activities get the perpetrators an advantage. Okay? But in reality, it destroys. It destroys trust. It, you know? And we reap what we're sowing. Okay? You know, thinking about um, churches and, and what we're supposed to be doing, what we're not supposed to be doing, what someone else is supposed to be doing, etc., you know, my wife has a statement that she came up with. I don't know where she heard it, but she's trying to drill it into me. Because I'll worry about something and she'll say, Wendell, it's not my circus. It's not my monkeys. It's <laughs> good. And I have to keep repeating that. Okay? Because I'll go to the hospital. I'll go to this. I'll go to that or whatever. And I'll try to fix something. Now, I'm a fixer. Okay, that's what I do for a living, is I fix things. And she'll say, Wendell, not my circus. It's not my monkeys. You know, and leave that to someone else. Let's go to Monday's lesson. It talks about Moses, and it talks about a story that, about Moses, etc. And... Um, I'm going to quickly read Exodus 32, 7 through 10. Exodus 32, 7 through 10. And then let me go to a different version. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, hurry and go back down because your people whom you led out of Egypt have sinned and rejected me. They have already left the way that I commanded them to follow. They have made a bull calf out of melted gold and have worshipped it and offered sacrifices to it. They are saying that this is their God who led them out of Egypt. I know how stubborn these people are. Now don't try to stop me. I'm angry with them. I'm going to destroy them. Then I'll make you and your descendants into a great nation. Okay? And then if you read 32.14, it says... So the Lord changed his mind and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. How do you understand that? You left out the part where Moses says to God, your people have disobeyed. (laughs) Yeah, so Moses had a response, okay? And he says, no, I'm not doing that. 
Okay? It's your people. It's your people, and this would be bad for your reputation. He was defending God's good judgment and or whatever, etc. So how do you understand that passage? I mean, this is a bizarre story. I thought, okay, before you answer, let me read a couple more passages. 1 Samuel 15, 29. Israel's majestic God does not lie or change his mind. He is not a human being. He does not change his mind. Okay? Reading Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember what happened long ago. Acknowledge that I alone am God and that there's no one else like me. From the beginning, I predicted the outcome. Long ago, I foretold what would happen. I said that my plans would never fail and that I would do everything I intended to do. If he knew everything in advance, why did this happen? Going on, Isaiah 46. Uh, oh, that's a t- same, different, different um, version. Isaiah 55, 11, my word comes from my mouth. It's like rain and snow. It will not come back to me without results. It will accomplish the whatever I want it and achieve whatever I send it to do. Okay, you're going to say so. So, very good in mind, God knew what Moses would do, but that doesn't mean the universe knew. And I think this was God's way of drawing out Moses' response to, if you had a choice... Me knocking out everybody and making you the new head, would you take it or would you or would you sacrifice yourself? My my Bible says <laughs> God got angry and then Moses argued and then he changed his mind. That's what it says, but That's what it says. You have to read between Is that what it means? In the message it says, God said to Moses, I look at this people, oh, what a stubborn heart Let me alone now, give me, give my anger free reign to burst into flames and incinerate them, but I'll make a nation out of you. So it's where he's saying, Moses, back away so I can, but that's giving Moses the choice. Okay, but it said he got angry. And then he says he changed his mind. And yet other places say he didn't change his mind. It was a test. I mean, it was the, like... I believe it was a test. I, I believe it was a test, okay? But I'm reading it through rose-tinted glasses, okay? I, I Okay, I was, I was required to take a class from Graham Maxwell. And I accused him of reading the Bible through rose-tinted glasses. And so he would ask, I'd walk into class, myself and my best friend would sit down at the, you know, in the class. He would ask a question, I'd raise my hand, he would ignore me the entire class period, my hand would be up the entire hour, okay? And we walked out. That, that lasted one semester. Okay? I hated that man. I went back and apologized later. Okay, you're reading through rose-tinted glasses. You have already got an idea of what God is like, and then you're reading this passage and taking some understanding for it. Okay? Context. Context? Okay. What else can you understand from this account? Who wrote it? Moses. Moses. Moses wrote this account. Okay? This is what it felt like. These are not inspired words. This is what... God inspired Moses to write this account. 
Okay? This is an account of what Moses went through. His perspective while living it firsthand. Okay? Because earlier we had seen him kill an Egyptian to try to save his people. Okay. So he was a murderer back then, but now he's offering to sacrifice himself for the people. So yeah, so I think this was a test. I mean, you said this is a test. I think it's a test. Um, what's the purpose of a test? To build character. Or reveal it. Okay. Verify knowledge or ability. Okay. To diagnose a condition, I order a um, a blood test. I'm I'm trying to diagnose what it's really what something really is. Come to the truth. I might motivate my students to study by saying, I'm going to give you a test. Okay? I think God was saying, um, do you think I am who I am? You know, that he was testing Moses to say, do you think that I am who I am? Okay. God is a God of freedom. He was saying... These people don't want me. I'm ready to let them go. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the, the, the use of the, of the pronouns. God says, your people have rebelled. Your people that you let out of Egypt uh, step away and I'll destroy them and make a nation out of you. And Moses' response is, oh, no, they're your people. You brought them out of Egypt. You brought them out of Egypt. Even at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. Now, so I know what the no nation going to say. You destroy your people. And yet, then we fast forward to Moses at the rock when he strikes the rock. Here you He's, yeah, here you rebels. I've, I've led you out of Egypt. I've done this. I've done that. And, and he takes credit to himself what, uh, what should have been given to God. And, and we see this, this arc of, of contrast from, from murdering to, to selflessness back to... He was also implying that God was an angry God and wasn't willing to give generously to everyone. Right. He gives rain to the wicked and the righteous. Okay. So a test is also for a, um, sometimes to teach something. Okay. So for example, um, there's a OITE, what's the stand for? Orthopedic in training exam. That's given once a year to the residents and it assesses their level of education and then they're ranked nationally. How do they compare to someone else, etc.? What is that really purpose for? Its purpose is to get them ready for boards. Okay. At the end of this training, they have to pass boards. Otherwise they don't get to do anything. No matter what they've done for five years. And so this is to teach them in, in essence, etc. So it prepares student for future milestones and tests. Okay? Is a test ever for the examiner's benefit? The examiner? The examiner. Yes. yes. In what situation? Because we're in classes. Ah, so the examiner is being examined. Okay? Because how effective the material the examiner has been printing right. have been presenting is. So every year... It's with some fear and trepidation that I get OITE scores back. Okay? 
because I have to prepare 15 guys to pass Pedes Ortho. I don't care arthroplasty and spine and all this other stuff, but I really look closely at the Pedes Ortho scores. Okay? So, who benefited from this test of Moses? Moses? Who else? The universe. God. Because God's judgment in saying that Moses was a good guy, you know, was accurate. I mean, we can go on and talk about Job and, and what was the purpose of Job and all that sort of stuff, etc. I think it's the same thing. Okay? God said, this is a righteous man. And yet, Eliab or whatever says, no, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And we use that statement all the time. And yet God said, here's a righteous man. And he also said Eliab didn't say what was right. Yeah. Like three of the four guys that spoke lied. Yeah. So it benefited Moses. It benefited the universe. It benefited the children of Israel. This was related to the children of Israel. They knew about it. Okay. Moses had 40 more years to lead these, to lead these people. This was early in the, in the sojourn. He had to, they had to go with this guy for 40 more years. Now they didn't know it was going to be 44 years at that point, but God knows the big end from the beginning. He knew that Moses needed it and the children of Israel needed it. They both needed it and he gave them this test for Moses. Okay? All right. Um, That's what you said about the uh, you looking at the scores of the students. Because it is true, you know, that when you're teaching, you are being evaluated by your superiors. If everybody in your class fails, they're going to be saying, you didn't do a very good job or something wrong here, and your job to be in jeopardy for doing such a poor job of teaching. There's certain things I do well in Pedes Ortho. There's certain things I don't do well. Don't ask me. Um, and um, right now we're getting a new chairman. Now he's coming in and he's going to be evaluating our program. One of the things he's going to be looking at is my Pedes Ortho OITE scores. Okay? He's going to be looking at a few other things I don't do so well at. But... Um, at least I have that to hang my hat because so far they're in the ninth percentile. And so I'm happy. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, on Monday, Evie pointed out here, and this is a, an excellent point. I don't know if you're already coming to it. Uh, the last paragraph. I was just getting ready to read it. Why, why don't you read that for us? As Moses interceded for Israel, his timidity was lost in his deep interest and love. For those whom he had in the hands of God been the means of doing so much. The Lord listened to his pleadings and granted his unselfish prayer. God had proved his servant. That part, the character proving by asking the question, God had proved his servant. He had tested his faithfulness and his love for that erring, ungrateful people. And nobly had Moses endured the trial. His interest in Israel sprang from no selfish motive. The prosperity of God's chosen people was dearer to him than personal honor, 
dearer than the privilege of becoming the father of a mighty nation. God was pleased with his faithfulness, his simplicity of heart, and his integrity, and he committed to him, as a faithful shepherd, the great charge of leading Israel to the promised land. So, I, in response to that paragraph, I think that's a great paragraph, okay? Where's that paragraph from? <coughs> last paragraph. The last paragraph. Prophets, page 319. Okay. All right. Ezekiel 20, 21 and 22. Um, but that generation also defied me. They broke my laws that did not keep my commands, which bring life to anyone who obeys them. They profaned the Sabbath. I was ready to let them feel the force of my anger there in the desert and kill them all. But I did not, since that would have dishonored to my name among the nations which had seen me bring Israel out of Egypt. So, a little another insight into that story. Okay. Well, it shows that he himself is considering other people how best to how best to forward their advance their um, knowledge of him and their capability. He considers us like we consider others. He considers us. And sometimes the things that we go through to get us, it says in another place that Moses is, was the humblest man, the humblest. And here she says he's timid. Yeah. And so he needed this kind of push forward. And it was, you would think that somebody who was being trained to be Pharaoh wouldn't be that timid. It took 40 years to get the, the fire out of him. All right, moving on to, to, uh, to Tuesday's lesson. I've got two things to cover. I'll never make it farther than that, but anyway, i got two things to cover. So on Tuesdays, um, reading the second paragraph um, and talk about reaching souls, and, and I want to ask the question about, are our actions tools? Okay, should they be? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men, as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Now maybe I have a little angst here, because a little lady has said that the medical ministry was the right arm of the gospel. And I don't like being the right arm. I don't like being used as a tool. And I don't think it is a tool if we read it in the proper perspective. It's what we are. Okay? We don't become something to get an effect. Is conduit a better word? Maybe. The last sentence of the fourth paragraph. In short, one of the best ways to reach others with our message is to minister to our, to their needs. I don't think that's what we're doing. Okay? I think we are ministers to their needs. We're not supposed to be using a tool to get them to agree with us or to spread the gospel or whatever. We are to be the gospel. Okay? So, um, let's look at the metaphors that Christ used for his followers. He talked about salt, a candle, a fruit tree, a shepherd, and a wedding garment. Okay? 
Does salt use saltiness to reach to others? No. Salt is what it is. It has its effect on its surroundings, whether people like it or not. Does a candle use light to influence this area with illumination? No. A candle is a candle. It it does something that's built into its function. Okay? Does a tree bear fruit to influence those who who eat the fruit to come closer to the tree? No. Does a shepherd do good things for the sheep to influence them to follow him? He's a shepherd. His function is to care for the sheep. Do you wear do you wear a wedding garment, dress up in appropriate clothing for the occasion or location to reach others about you to your message? Or is it not to honor the wedding party? To make their day complete? Do you become someone who you aren't when you wear those clothes? You're invited to the wedding because of who you are, not because of the clothes you're going to be wearing. Now, I realize that some people worry about what their wedding looks like and the pictures and all that sort of stuff, and that's a different story. But the function that you are doing this for is because you of who you are not because you're what you're going to be wearing or what you're going to become when you wear this. This is not a Halloween excursion. First um, Peter, uh, on the middle of the page, it gives a couple of texts. First Peter, ooh, I, I, I better be done. Okay, I got one more thing to cover. Okay, all right. So um, there's a poem that I read part of at both my mom's and my dad's funeral. Okay? It's something I learned in high school. I had to memorize. Now, I don't remember the whole thing, so I'm not going to tell you by memory. Okay? I'm only going to read you the first paragraph and the last paragraph of the, par- of the poem, for time's sake and your, your interest. We won't remember the middle anyway. Okay? <laughs> Written by William Cullen Bryant. It's called Thanatopsis. It's about death. Okay? The first paragraph is, To him who in love of nature holds communion with her visible forms, she speaks a various language. For his gayer hours she has a voice of gladness and a smile and eloquence of beauty, and she glides into his darker musings with a mild and healing sympathy that steals away their sharpness ere he is aware. And going to the last paragraph, so live that when thy summons comes, again, it's talking about death. So live that when thy summons comes to join the innumerable caravan, which moves to that mysterious realm where each shall take his chamber in the silent halls of death. Thou go not like the quarry slave at night, scourged to his dungeon, but sustained and soothed by an unfaltering trust. Approach thy grave like one who wraps a drapery of his couch about him and lies down to pleasant dreams. The Sabbath. How do you keep the Sabbath? I have been bothered by this, and this is a this this lesson this week was to me, okay? And I'm sorry if I've said it to you, but it's it's to me. How do I live my life? Do I live my life each day? 
so that Sabbath can be about my father's business? Am I so bushed from my week that I'm unable to commune with my maker on the Sabbath? Help our fellow human beings be restored as a servant? What would Sabbath look like if I truly believed that being godlike in my actions, communications, and thoughts were what Sabbath was all about? Now, Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He even said, I work because my father is working. I'm challenged by two passages. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. The kind of fasting I want is this. Remove the chains of oppression and the yoke of injustice and let the oppressed go free. Share your food with the hungry. Open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear. And do not refuse to help your own relatives. The second passage is Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. The Lord says, if you treat the Sabbath as sacred and do not pursue your own interest on that day, if you value my holy day and honor it by not traveling, working, or talking idly on that day, then you will find the joy that comes from serving me. I will make you honored all over the world and you will enjoy the land I gave to your ancestor Jacob. Israel was to be example to the world of just laws, good, you know, example of who God was. We're to be that example. I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing on Sabbath. Often what I do on Sabbath is take a nap. And I think restoration is good. Rest and restoration is good. But I, I have a, I have angst over Sabbath being just a mental vacation from reality. Am I not to be doing Christ's work on the Sabbath? And what would that look like if it involved Isaiah 58, 6 and 7? I'm just having a personal quandary here. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of walking in your steps. Teach us. Help us that we may listen. May we hear your voice. May we be quiet enough that we can hear it. And help us that we may know when we're off the beaten path. Amen. Amen.